All right, welcome back to RUF. It's so uh, good to see so many familiar faces. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, uh, I am the campus minister, and my name's Jason Sterling. Uh, and so if you're here for the first time, I want to especially welcome you uh, tonight. I know uh, it can be intimidating maybe to walk into a room like this where you don't know that many people, uh, but I want you to know that we really do want you to feel welcome, uh, and we want you to feel safe here. And what you'll hear me say a lot is week after week after week, uh, you'll hear me get up and I'll say wherever you are, whether you're struggling with sin or even struggling with belief in Christianity or Christ, um, we want this to be a place where you have the space to kind of sort through those things and figure it out. Uh, and so we really do hope uh, that this is a safe place and, uh, for you tonight, but then particularly as you keep coming uh, th this semester uh, as we look at the Gospel of John. Uh, if you're new to RUF, one of the things you'll notice is we pretty much pick a book of the Bible and we march straight through it every semester. And the reason why we do that is because we think that the Bible is wiser than we are. And therefore, we'll take a chapter or a section of Scripture and we'll just look at it, see what it says every week, and try to apply it to our lives. Uh, and we normally rotate between Old Testament and New Testament. And last semester, we did the Old Testament, the book of Exodus. And so this semester, we're in the New Testament and we're doing the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, the thing that's really interesting about John is it was written by one of Jesus' closest friends. Uh, obviously, his name was John. Uh, and what's even more interesting than that is oftentimes it's a little hard when you're maybe reading books of the, the Bible to kind of, you know, what's the purpose of the book? And there's some things you've got to kind of sort through. Not with John. Right from the get-go, well, not really from the get-go, he tells us later in the book, John chapter 20 actually, he says, I have written the book of John for one reason that you may know that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing in him, you might, might find life in his name. That's it. That's why he wrote the book of John. And so every week, as we look and open up the Gospel of John, we're really going to look at those two things and ask two questions. Who is Jesus and how do we find life in his name? In a Essentially, that's what we're going to do week after week after week in some way, shape, or form. We're going to look at those two questions. Tonight, we're going to do it through John chapter 1. I'm going to start right uh, at the first few verses. Before we dig in, let me pray uh, and ask God to help us. Let's pray together. Father, uh, we come tonight from lots of different places. Uh, some are here, and they haven't been to a meeting like this in a long, long time, and they're uneasy, but they're here because they want a word from you. They, they, they want something um, that would give them hope. Fathers, others are here tonight, and they have blown it big time over the break, and they feel like failures. And they're wondering if you're still there and if you still love them and if you still care. 
Father, some of us have been around the Bible our whole life and we're actually bored with Christianity. We have, uh, Father, people here that are in the midst of hard relationships and broken relationships and uh, all kinds of uh, uh, conflict uh, with others. So, Father, we we need you tonight, uh, and we need you to come and to meet us and to give us a word from the outside. Father, would you convince us tonight that we're more messed up than we realize? But also, at the very same time, would you convince us uh, that your grace and your love for us is greater than we could imagine? Would you do those things? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, many of you know that Miley Cyrus has been in the news a lot lately. You're, you're like, am I in the right place here? We're starting off with the Miley Cyrus illustration. Uh, and particularly the last couple of months, for a lot of uh, the publicity stunt, so to speak, that she's been involved with. And I heard recently uh, that... She's actually doing these things in an attempt to be the next Madonna. That's kind of her goal. But if she is attempting and her goal is to be Madonna, she's got a long way to go. And here's why. Madonna's my generation, okay? And I'm sure you're familiar with her, but let me give you a little background. She's been performing for over 30 years, and she's been at the top of her profession, as you know. And up until a few years ago... She had the number one, okay, in her late 40s, she still had the number one grossing tour in the world. Last year, her net worth was $650 million. And here's what's amazing about that. She is one of the best performers of all time in entertainers. And what's interesting, I heard a quote and a comment from her a few years ago in an interview, and it totally blew me away. Listen to what she said. After all the success, millions of dollars, she says this, I have an iron will, and all my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I'm always struggling with that fear. I push past one spell of it and I discover myself as a special human being and then I get to another stage and I think I'm mediocre. I think that I'm uninteresting and I find a way to get myself out of it again and again and again and my drive in life, listen to this, is the horrible, feel of being, the horrible fear of being mediocre. That is what is pushing me. Even though I have become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended and probably never will. Friends, that speaks to the very heart of every human being. Every one of us sitting in here tonight, if you're being honest with yourself, you feel that. That fear of inadequacy, that fear of being a nobody, that fear of failure deep down in your soul. You can relate to what she said, but here's what's beneath all of that. Beneath all of those questions is something even deeper, and it's this. 
The question of where do you find true meaning in life? How do you avoid becoming insignificant? Friends, those are some of the most important questions that you can ever ask. And what's interesting is the Apostle John, right from the beginning of his gospel, addresses that dilemma and answers those questions. And you know what he says? He says, true meaning in life, true significance in life is found in Jesus Christ. That's what he tells us. Jesus is life. And since Jesus is life, and we're going to see that over and over throughout the whole study in the book of John, but since Jesus is life, in John chapter 1, John tells us that we should do two things in light of that. You see it on your outline printed before you. Number one, because Jesus is life, we should behold, or I'm sorry, bow to his supremacy. And secondly, behold his humanity. Bow to his supremacy, behold his humanity. Those are our two points tonight. Let's look at number one, bow to his supremacy. Look at verse one. In the beginning... Every Jewish person reading that verse, once they saw in the beginning, they would immediately think Genesis chapter 1, the creation account. In the beginning, God created the heavens. God created the earth. And then it has that refrain, and God said, let there be light. And God said, and God said, and we see it over and over in those first few chapters of the book of Genesis. And the repetition in the word said finds its fuller meaning here in John chapter 1. When John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What is he talking about? Well, let me cut right to it. Here's what John is saying in the strongest of terms. John is saying that Jesus was the Word that was active at creation way back in eternity past. That Jesus was with God and that Jesus was God from the very beginning of time. That's what John is saying. And here's the question. Why in the world would John introduce us to Jesus this semester in that way, by starting in eternity past? I mean, why doesn't he start with all the other gospel writers with the birth? Or why doesn't he start with Jesus' public ministry? Or why doesn't he start when Jesus was a young boy? Well, let me try to help us with an illustration on what John is actually doing. This is not going to surprise many of you. But you know that I'm a sucker for a sports illustration, and particularly one that pulls at your heartstrings. And so there's nothing that'll bring me to tears quicker than ESPN Make-A-Wish Week. Anybody seen those? Yes, please say you have. Well, um, they they get me every time. And I'll never forget a couple of years ago, uh, there was one of these segments on ESPN about a 14-year-old boy named Akeem. And Akeem, when he was six years old, was in an automobile accident and was paralyzed 
from the neck down and bound to a wheelchair. So he'd been in a wheelchair for eight years. He loved football, and he loved the Pittsburgh Steelers. And so his parents decided to take him to Heinz Field, which is where the Steelers play. And keep in mind that the tour at Heinz Field was open to the general public, and so anybody could walk up and pay money and get a tour of Heinz Field. And so they walk up, and they're getting a tour of Heinz Field, and at one point in the tour, you actually get to go on to the football field. And so Akeem wills his motorized wheelchair out to the 50-yard line, and when he does, the jumbotron comes on, and there's Ben Roethlisberger, the quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And he points out into the camera, and he says, Akeem, it's time for you to suit up and to put on a Pittsburgh Steelers jersey. And so they bring out a Steelers jersey, and they put it on Akeem, and he has a, a, a jersey with the number one on his chest and his name on the back, and he goes to the practice field, and he's watching the Steelers practice from the sidelines, and he is smiling from ear to ear. Practice is nearing the end, and Ben Roethlisberger walks over, and he says, Akeem, it's time for you to get in the game. It's time for you to play. So Akeem wills his wheelchair out to the huddle, and he's in the huddle with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And Ben Roethlisberger's calling the play, and he says, Akeem, this play is for you. Line up in the backfield behind the fullback, and I'm going to hand you the ball, and you're going to go through the line of scrimmage behind the fullback, and you're going to score. Hands the ball to Akeem. He goes through the line of scrimmage following the fullback and all the defensive players are falling down. And he goes and he scores and the team surrounds him and celebrates with Akeem. Why does that take your breath away? Listen, Akeem had played football in his yard in his motorized wheelchair countless of times with friends and people that would come and love him and play with him and reach out to him. Why is this different? Well, it's different because of greatness. It's different because the greatness of a Super Bowl quarterback getting on his level and loving him and playing with him and making him feel like the center of the world. That is why it takes our breath away. Friends, that's exactly what John is doing. That's what John does. He is showing us Jesus from eternity past because he doesn't want us to miss how great the glory and the greatness and the majesty of who Jesus is because John is saying, unless we see that Jesus is God and that He has always been, unless we see that Jesus has made all things and upholds all things, unless we get that, then we're going to miss Him and the greatness of who He is and what He has come to do in our lives. Unless we get His greatness, we're going to miss His love for us. Unless we get His greatness, then Jesus will never thrill our soul 
will never sing, and will never truly worship him for who he is. But John's actually doing something else. Look at verse 11. It's easy to miss. John starts in eternity past because he wants us to see something else. Verse 11, Jesus came to his own people and his people received him not. Now here's what John is getting at. Jesus came to his own people, the people that he created, and they rejected him. John starts in eternity past because he wants you to know tonight, and he wants me to know, that Jesus is our maker. That Jesus is our creator, and you're saying, okay, well, okay, yes, but why in the world does that matter? Why is that important? Here's why it's important. Think about it this way. If you've got something that is broken and needs to be fixed, you either send it back to the people that made it or you bought from, that you bought it from, or you take it to the designer, to the maker. Why? Because they know it inside and out. And they know what needs to be done in order to fix it. Friends, the Bible says this, that all of us, because of sin that came into the world in Genesis chapter 3, which is known as the fall of man, because of that event, every single one of us have been bruised and broken by the sin in the world. Some of you tonight, I realize maybe that's the first time you've heard something like that. And it might, at first, as you first hear it, maybe it sounds offensive to you. But let's be honest about something. When you're all alone and you're lying in your bed and you can't go to sleep, isn't it true that every single one of us feel like we're not what we're supposed to be? Don't you feel that deep down in your heart? What Madonna actually felt, that sense of inadequacy or that sense of failure and oftentimes when we rub up against that in our heart our knee-jerk reaction is to defend ourselves or to deny it or seek to cover it up but we know deep down because we feel that nagging sense down deep in our hearts and it is still there and it's why you and I have so much spin in our life it's why we're always spinning the truth in order to put ourselves in the best possible light. It's why we're seeking so hard to be spiritually busy because we're trying to earn our own righteousness. It's why you and I are always running ourselves ragged trying to manage people's perceptions of us. It's why we're never honest with another person because we're scared to death that we're going to be found out. It's why we work countless hours in order to build our resume because we know Jesus is right about us, that there is something deeply wrong that needs to be healed in our soul. 
You see, we all, to one degree or another, if we're honest, feel that something's not right and we need to be healed. And here's my question as we start a new semester. When you rub up against that this semester and you feel that, and some of you feel it big time right now at this moment, where are you going to go? Where are you going to go to experience the healing that you need? Will you go back to just trying to maintain your image? Will you go and run to, if I can just get in with that right group of people, then I'll feel okay about myself? Will you run once again to alcohol, to numb the pain, to numb that nagging sense of inadequacy that you feel? Or maybe you'll run to just being spiritually busy and you'll say, I need a better Bible reading plan or I need to memorize more Scripture. And friends, don't get me wrong, those are great things, but they won't heal you. You know what John is saying here? John is starting in eternity past because he is saying that there is only one person that can heal you. And that's your Creator. That's Jesus. That's why he starts there. Because he's saying you desperately need to be healed. And Jesus is the only one that can heal you. And so my question is, as we start a new semester, will you run to Jesus for that healing that you desperately need? Friends, that's why Jesus came. He came into the world to draw near to you in order to restore you and make you new. Isn't that incredible? The question then is, how in the world does that happen? And that leads us to our second point, and our last point. Since Jesus is life, we must first bow to his supremacy and secondly, behold his humanity. John spends the first 13 verses telling us who Jesus is, laying out this incredible description that we've just talked about so that we would understand the weight of verse 14. Look at verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelled among us. The Word became flesh and dwelled among us. And what he's getting at is that God took on human flesh just like you and I and came into the world and lived in poverty and was rejected and misunderstood and persecuted. He became like us in every way but sin. That's what John is saying. And it reminded me of a story... Um, of a man by the name of Father Damien who was a priest in the 1860s and he went to Hawaii to minister and to be a missionary to a leper colony. And when he went to this leper colony, he was there for 16 years and he lived as they lived. I mean, he learned their language, he organized schools, he organized choirs and bands, he built houses and shelters for the lepers. He even at one point built 2,000 coffins so that the lepers could be buried with dignity. 
And during his time here, this leper colony actually became known as a place that you could go and truly live rather than a place that you could just simply go and die. People had hope. And what was even more amazing is that he was known for not keeping his distance. For example, Father Damien, it was common to see him take his finger and run it through a bow after a leper had finished eating and lick his finger. He was, could be seen regularly sharing pipes with the lepers, regularly bandaging their wounds and not washing his hands. He got close, and his patients loved him for it. And then it was one Sunday he stood up to deliver his sermon, and he began his sermon this way, with these two words, We lepers. You see, Father Damien was no longer just helping them. He had actually become one of them. And from that moment forward on the island, he chose to live as they lived and to die as they, as they died. They were in it together. Friends, Jesus came to earth and he began his deliverance of his people with these two words. We lepers. That's what he did. He gave up everything to be near to you. Friends, Jesus, and here's the wonderful thing about Christianity and the gospel. Here's what Jesus, or here's what religion says. Religion says, work hard, try hard, get near to Jesus, make your way towards Him. The gospel comes, Christianity comes and says, Jesus comes near to you. Friends, <clears throat> Jesus comes into your mess, into the mess of our world, and He puts on our skin. Look at verse 11 one more time. He comes to his own, and they did not receive him. Notice something there. It does not say Jesus came to his own, and they rejected him, and so Jesus packed his bags and left. It's not what it says. Jesus came to his own, the people that he created, and they rejected him. And you know what he did? He kept coming. He kept running. He kept pursuing them. Friends, He keeps running after people that hate Him. Jesus keeps running after people that can make no sense of what's going on in their life. He keeps running after people that have secret sin that no one else knows about. Jesus keeps running and pursuing people that are apathetic towards Him. Jesus keeps pursuing and coming after people that would rather kill Him than actually have to deal with Him. And here's the kicker, okay? When He gets there, what does He do? When Jesus draws near to us, what does He do? Look at verse 16.
brings grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. Listen, I don't know what you brought into this room, but I know some of you feel like a complete wreck. And you find yourself in the middle of a mess that you don't know how you're going to get out of. And some of you are wondering what Jesus thinks and what He's going to do. Here's what I want you to hear from me and what we see here. Friends, whatever mess you find yourself in, Jesus draws near. And He comes right into the middle of your mess. And you know what He does? He gives grace upon grace. Isn't that what we need this semester? It's what I need. Friends, what we need and what we're going to see every week is that God is better than we thought. He really is. You know, December the 14th, many of you were at home at this point. And maybe you saw this, it was all over the media, but that marked the anniversary of Sandy Hook Elementary and the shootings up there in Connecticut at that school. And any time you rub up against an anniversary of an event like that, we saw it with September 11th, uh, we see it when the anniversary comes, um, you see things, you know, we have you know, the president lit candles uh, in honor of the victims, there's services where there's ringing of the bells in honor of the victims. Also, it brings up all of the issues around that event, whether it's national security or gun control around Sandy Hook Elementary and a lot of protesting and those kinds of things. And it's very easy for that to feel like a thousand miles away. For that to feel really disconnected. And then all of a sudden you're watching maybe the news or a program or a talk show and they start to read the names of the victims. Or they interview a family member and the family member starts to tell stories about their daughter or their son. And then it changes on a dime, doesn't it, in that moment. All of a sudden, it becomes very real and it's not a thousand miles away anymore. It's right here and it's personal and suddenly you find yourself emotional. Why? Well, because it went from being an issue out there to a person, to a story, a story of a young child whose life was cut way too short. And it goes from becoming an issue to a story of someone's husband or son or father or daughter or sibling. Listen, this semester, here's what I hope. We're going to be looking at the Gospel of John and we're going to be coming up every week and we're going to be looking at stories. And here's my hope. That as we look at these stories that God would move from being an issue to you to a person. 
to a real human being named Jesus. A real person who comes and gives grace upon grace. A person in whom true life is found. A person in whom true meaning is given to your life. That is my hope for every single one of us this semester. And I hope you'll come back and we'll experience that together. Let's pray. Father, our prayer 